Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. And I'm here with Aaron. Ari, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I just want to say I'm really enjoying these last couple episodes we've been doing together. I, I, I'm sure everyone's noticed that the audio quality of this podcast has gone up about 500%. And I think that uh, Aaron and I have been able to discuss some really cool stuff. So I uh, just want to say that, that uh, I, I think this is going really well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of fun uh, just talking with you and seeing how you're optimizing things, Ari. Thanks. So so the book came out yesterday. Yeah, that was really exciting. I, I downloaded it. I had it pre-ordered for my Audible account and uh, listened to it while I was at work. It was it was a lot of fun because I haven't had a chance to read your all your blogs, and I think it had a lot of content on there that I haven't uh, come across yet. So that was a, a great way for me to optimize while uh, doing two things at once. Although that... that that was multitasking, but it seemed to work for me. <laughs> That's totally fine. You know, it's a it's like a two hour audiobook, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, it was kind of cool for the for me when I when I saw that because when they told me there was going to be the audiobook, I, I asked them who was going to narrate it, and they they couldn't tell me at the time. Uh, so the guy who did it, I think his name is Sean Pratt, and I only heard a a sample, but it sounded really cool. It made it sound a lot more serious than I think I could have made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did a great job narrating. I'd I'd uh, recommend everyone check that out. It, it was uh, he he did a great job narrating. And it was just fun to listen to it in that way. Yeah, well, so of course it'd be great if people can go and check out the book if you haven't already pre-ordered it. But definitely go and get it because you'll you'll get it now that it's available. Uh, but if you could and you like it, leave reviews on Amazon because that obviously just helps the book's credibility and everything look better. So. We've got uh, one five-star review so far. Thank you to Aaron, and uh, which is, I think, great to get the thing, get uh, get things rolling. So let's get some other reviews on there because I want to hear people's feedback. I've been getting some really nice comments on Twitter from people, and um, you know we'll see. So it's uh, it's exciting. We'll see what happens, and then I can't wait to see it in the other languages. Yeah, you know, Ari, give give our listeners a little bit of a feed of feedback on how you actually go about what your writing process is like because I'm interested in that. You seem to be pretty productive in that area and yet you've said before that you're not the greatest writer so how do you go about getting yourself psyched up to write a post or something like that yeah you know it's actually it's really tough it's one of the tougher things that i have to do and especially now that like i'm writing for the daily beast every week and you know trying to write content for our for you know less doing blog and also then notes for us to talk about a lot of stuff like it's it's hard but in a way you know i feel like first of all looking at a lot of what I do now is being like a content creator and a content curator in some ways. Like that sort of helps me frame it a little better. So I, I tend to not worry so much about my style of writing. I basically write the way I talk. And what mm-hmm. I try to do sometimes, there's two ways. Either I'll, I'll go through during the week and I'll put some notes in an Evernote and I'll just kind of like little things that I'll hit over the course of a few days as I sort of let it marinate. And it sort of becomes like an outline. But mm-hmm. most of the time, I kind of like take about five or ten minutes, think about what I want to do, and then I start writing and see where it takes me. And I rarely, sorry to say this, but I rarely reread what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I basically do a spell check and then I put it out there. So I don't know if that's the best way, but I, I think if I were to start really second-guessing things and redrafting and all that stuff, that's where I would really get into a problem because it's just, it's just not my strong point. Right. And, you know, I think it, it turned out great. So, it, um, like I said, it's a great book. But what about using something like Fiverr or Odesk to proofread your stuff? 
Is that necessary or not at this point? Um, I mean, it, I, it turned out well, but, uh, but I'm, you know, sometimes when I write things, it might have a little uh, uh, glitch in it or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, for the book, I have a publisher, so I have an editor for that. And for the Daily Beast, I have a really great editor, too. Uh, so that is a big help, honestly. Um, if you have to do it yourself, yes. It's funny. I was actually just looking at a proofreading service called Kibin, K-I-B-I-N. Um, I think I just shared that on Twitter, but, um, you know, we'll put that in the show notes for people to check out. And it's it's a it's a proofreading service. That's all I do. They do proofreading. So uh, and then you can tell them what style it is, what the what what it's going to be used for, and then they'll proofread it. So um, there's all sorts of services like that. Fiverr definitely has people like that. I, I I think I would have a hard time justifying even spending the five dollars to have someone proofread it for uh, for the blog because at that point it's like, come on, alright, just go ahead and read it. It's going to take a few <laughs> minutes. But okay. you know. I, I've always said this, that it's more important to me to get the content out there than necessarily taking the time to polish it and, and get it perfect, which, you know, a lot of people might scoff at that, but it's just the way that I do it, which is sort of, it was the basis for the human autoresponder. I'm not familiar. Okay, so cool. I, I just wanted to talk about this. So I wrote a post uh, several months ago called the human autoresponder. And what I realized was I was getting all these emails and either directly or through the contact form on my website. And there was a lot of sort of standard questions that people would ask. You know, I'd get a lot of questions about Crohn's or about uh, virtual assistants. You know, there was a lot of these things that sort of came up like a lot. I had had an autoresponder, but the problem with the autoresponders in general is that they're not personal, of course. You're just, it, it's immediately sending it back, right? And even if you right. want to like hit all of those, you know, frequently asked questions, you're going to end up with this really long autoresponder that, you know, half the people aren't going to want to read and it's going to just piss people off, basically. <laughs> so I came up with this idea called the human autoresponder. So basically what happens now is when I get an email that matches certain keywords, well, so this was the first iteration, it would match certain keywords like Crohn's or virtual assistants or uh, it would, or if it was coming from the, the um, you know, 123 contact form on my website, that would then, using IFTTT, it would forward that to a fancy hands assistant and it would tell them, someone, you know, send me this email. I want you to respond to it in a personalized fashion. And here is the information that you will use to do that. So that's all it said. And then it gave them a link to an Evernote notebook. And this is where things got kind of cool. So I did go to Fiverr and I had them write the intro paragraph. So I found someone on Fiverr mm -hmm. who wrote a really, really nice intro paragraph. And basically what it says is, you know, thank you for your email. Uh, you know, Ari gets a lot of email every day and it's not that he doesn't want to take the time to respond to you or that he won't respond to you, but it is more important to him that you get the answer to your question as quickly as possible, you know, so, and, 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 and here's the answer basically. So in my opinion, you know, yes, it, as efficient as I am on email, if somebody wants to know, you know, what virtual assistant company do I recommend? And they weren't able to find that on the blog for some reason. There's no reason why they should have to wait even an hour for me to be done with whatever I'm doing if a virtual assistant can respond to them in three minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's I feel like it's more important for them to get their answer than to get a very personalized response from me thanking them and all this stuff. You know, I, that's how I feel. So 
the Evernote note is really cool. What I, and I've been adding to it over time and I can add from, from anywhere, but basically it's like, if the person is asking about Crohn's, then refer them to this post. And, you know, if they're interested in coaching services, tell them here, uh, if they're asking for a bio and headshot, I get that a lot for articles, then you can give them this Dropbox folder full of headshots they can choose from. And here's my bio. So it's basically got like two pages worth of information, but the virtual assistant can the fancy hands in my case can just pick the information they need and then give them a personalized response. It's really cool. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Cause so what with that, I was still getting the email and I'd see it, but I usually, you know, if I was in my inbox, I'd see it and I just wouldn't answer. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, IFTTT or sorry, Zapier has a, uh, a one, two, three contact channel. So now somebody just has to fill out my form on the thing and it immediately goes into Zapier, which sends the email to fancy hands. So I don't even get the email now. Which I oh, love. Nice. nice. Yeah. So that's the oh. human autoresponder. So how do you, you know? You mentioned there that sometimes, like you said, with proofreading some of your posts, it's not even worth it to you to hire someone because you know that might just take up more time. So how do you know when it's appropriate to hire someone versus just do it on your own? Well, you know, I, I would say that, like for a personal blog. You know, yes, you want to be professional, but the truth is, is you want to present your voice, I think, for a personal blog, at least. So in that case, you know, somebody might correct something and change something that that makes it a little bit not you, you know, Mm -hmm. because even put even something as simple as putting a colon or a semicolon or a comma, like changing the cadence of the way something is written, I think really changes the voice and the person who wrote it. And it's also, by the way, one of the reasons why I've always found ghostwriters to be such a, a difficult thing, because... I do write the way I speak. So it's really, really hard for somebody to sort of emulate that. And it it just depersonalizes it. So I think that, you know, obviously if you're doing a book or an ebook, which is obviously very common, or you're going to do an online course, or if you're writing for an external publication that doesn't provide you with an editor, um, you know, like if you were going to write for the Daily Beast, but of course they provide editors, then I think that you want to present a more polished face, basically, because... Unfortunately, in those situations, you're going to get people writing in the comments like, you know, use spell check, buddy, rather than actually comment. <laughs> yeah, rather than commenting on the the uh, content of the article. Right. So gotcha. uh, the um, there was a couple of things that I had linked to this week that I wanted to tell you about and talk to you about. Uh, one of which was, did you see the Krav Maga versus other martial arts video? I, I saw the link to that. I, I didn't check that one out. I was uh, too busy looking at the... Uh, how to exercise on an empty stomach. Yeah. So that's, so that's the second one I want to talk about. So uh, the, the first one is it's it's this video about Krav Maga. And for people who don't, do, do you know what Krav Maga is, Aaron? It's a form of martial arts, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's the Israeli martial art. And it's um, it was created in the, you know, in the in 1940s and during the Holocaust in the ghettos, basically. And it was, it's a very effective, very brutal and um, you know, pretty, pretty like, rapid in and out form of martial arts and i'm a i'm a yellow belt in krav maga and you learn how to take away guns from people and knives and how to you know inflict the maximum amount of damage in the least amount of time kind of thing and there's your alley yes so (laughs) there's uh this video krav maga versus other martial arts and it happens to be the guy who was my teacher this guy ron mizrahi who is the he's like the number one practitioner in the world pretty much. And he's, he's trained with the founder of the movement and all that stuff. So he's very hardcore. And, uh, he's basically like, we are not, this is not about competition. You know, we never train for competition. We don't train for sparring. We don't train for points. We basically train to kill. So, 
it's it's kind of a cool video, um, <laughs> and it was something that I, you know, my whole like seeking out ways of sort of creating stress on the body and and getting stronger from it. Krav Maga was actually really helpful, especially in my my overcoming of Crohn's. Believe it or not, you know, being really? being pinned to the mat by someone who's like a hundred pounds heavier than you and trying to figure out how to deal with that situation while they're choking you is something that you don't find yourself in in most situations. And I think that there's real benefits to that, honestly. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Do you find yourself uh, feeling more confident, uh, say, if you're walking down a dark alley at night? Yeah, well, now that I live in the country, there aren't too many dark alleys. But yes, I did, actually. You know, I found that when I was on the subway in New York City, where I was living before, or uh, I was in a situation like that, absolutely. I felt like I started to see what I would do if someone happened to turn, you know, with a knife or or started to come my way. I I started to, like, pre-plan that, and that's something that I would have never done before. And it just... It's a bit of that. It's like vigilance in a way, which I think is which is, is healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the exercising on an empty stomach one is interesting. What do you What did you think about that? You know, I I've always felt that I, I I ran best on an empty stomach, or maybe just with a half cup of coffee or something like that. So uh, I, it really resonated with me because it, when you start filling your body up with food, it seems like you start putting your body in a different mode, more like a relaxation phase. And so that it was interesting to see uh, that there's some science behind that. Yeah, well, so what it really comes down to is insulin sensitivity, you know, in a way. So it's really about how your body is using sugar, metabolizing sugar, and and sort of glucose levels and and what you're doing with that fuel. And also if you're using sort of that immediate fuel versus fuel stores. So Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting because I have sort of gone both ways on this. And I'm definitely of the mindset of exercising an empty stomach at this point. But, you know, when I was doing Ironman training and I was on the bike and I was like, you know, forget eating beforehand. You're you're eating during. You're eating the entire (laughs) thing, right? Like on the bike, on the run. You know, some people eat in the swim. They put a gel cap in their hat. Like it's crazy. (laughs) And I remember – this is sort of a side note, but I remember that – I really like hammer nutrition. Have you do you, you know hammer gels? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for anybody you know who has to use a goo or a gel, like hammer nutrition is actually pretty legit. I really like their stuff. But mm-hmm. so I was like, I I was worried about having to eat in this manner. But the hammer nutrition stuff was really good, and it felt good and everything. And then my coach is we're talking about this one day, and my coach was like, well, you know, they only have Power Bar at the Ironman events because they're the official sponsor. So. You're going to have to get used to power bar because if something happens and you drop your bag or they mess up or you, you know, lose it in the flight, whatever, you need to be able to eat what's on the course. So I was like, okay, you know, so <laughs> I'm sorry if anyone from power bar is listening, but I think that the gels are just so disgusting. Uh, they're so super sweet and gross. And fortunately, I only had to have one of them on the entire Ironman because my, my bags held up, but. They happened to be introducing a brand new flavor at Ironman France that year, and it was it was mango guava passion fruit. Oh, nice! <laughs> it was it's like the worst kind of cough syrup imaginable. So, anyway, the fastest day thing is really interesting. So, there, there's a couple things there. One of which is if you have any digestive issues, or if, even if you don't, but certainly if you do, and if you have inflammation, giving your body a rest of of not having to digest for you know, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours is a really amazing thing. I personally only eat between noon and 8 p.m. 
And that's just something I've sort of settled on. It's, you know, you can call it intermittent fasting. You can call it a compressed eating schedule. It does two things for me. One, it makes me feel really good, but it also makes it so I can plan my day very well because I never have to even think about breakfast. It's not something that even enters my mind. And when you've got three kids trying to get ready for, you know, get out the door in the morning and, and all sorts of craziness in the house, it's nice to not have to eat. Mm-hmm. But I, I, so working out, I have found I, I'm much more laser focused when I don't eat before a workout and that, you know, the flow state thing that, you know, Stephen Kotler and the flow state, that whole thing. Yeah. I feel like I get in the flow state better. Do actually, do you find that, do you find you get in like a flow state when you work out or when you go on like a long run, do you get that oh, sort of zone? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't always hit that, but if I'm going on say like an hour, run where I'm really hitting it hard. Yeah, I definitely get that. And have you noticed any difference when you don't eat? Um, you know, I, I, I have, I don't try to eat. And for that reason, I, I don't, I haven't eaten before workouts for a long time. Sometimes yeah. if I am feeling a little hungry in the morning, I'll have like a half a banana or something like that, but, or, or maybe a tablespoon of coconut oil. Mm-hmm. But, um, for the most part, no, I, I try not to. Yeah. So I definitely feel like I can just, I, I get to that place much faster where I'm like just I just zone in on something and I'm and I'm good so when I don't eat and then the other thing too is carb backloading is a legitimate thing you know and and Arnold Schwarzenegger was huge on that but basically you know you do a hard hard workout and then you go and just pound carbs and Mm -hmm. you know obviously you still want to eat decent stuff but that makes a lot of sense to me because I'm not I'm not low carb, but I do try to push my carbs off to later in the day. You know, mm-hmm. if you have carbs at night and then you you're, you have like a you know a crash basically or some glucose crash, at least you're sleeping, so it's fine. Right. Um, so you really won't notice it or feel it. So if you're going to have those sweet potatoes or that white rice or something, it's better to have a sort of a late lunch, you know, dinner time. And I I always found that after working out, you can really just go eat your face off if you want good quality yeah. stuff, but still just eat it all. And that seems to work really well. Yeah. And there's actually some science that eating carbs at night might help, help you sleep better for that reason, because you're, uh, you're promoting your circadian rhythm where your, where your glucose is slightly dipping and you get sleepy. Well, and there's, uh, there's some people who really do well with like a tablespoon of honey, like raw honey right before they go to bed, you know, so you, people listening should be aware of this at this point, because I've talked about it before, but, uh, our brains, our bodies run really well. The cells in our bodies can run on glucose or ketones from fat. And if you're sort of providing a, a boost of both to your brain before you go to bed, your brain's going to be happy throughout the night, basically, and and not have to hog energy from everywhere else. And you're not going to wake up starving, which is which is a big thing. And I know a lot of people have that. And that's another thing, by the way. It's nice for me to wake up and just I'm just not hungry till noon, mm-hmm. you know, or, or so, which is which is great. So. Um, who are we talking today? We I interviewed uh, what's the uh, name? Brian McKenzie, right? Okay, uh, so an, Bri- another guy who loves pain. You you <laughs> spoke with uh, the the Spartan race director, who is another uh, pain addict, and now Brian McKenzie. Yeah, so Brian has uh, first of all he has a tattoo across his hands that says "I am unscared." It's like, it's like <laughs> across his knuckles, and that is his Twitter handle, which is so cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, Brian is the creator of CrossFit Endurance, which is the it's sort of lighter on the strength portion, and it, and it really is for triathletes, runners, swimmers, bikers uh, to take sort of the 
I guess some of the principles of CrossFit and that metabolic conditioning and also mixing it up. One, one of the things I really like about Brian's program is that it, it throws in, like if you're doing biking, it'll actually, if you're doing a triathlon too, you can just follow their free blog posts every day if you want. And mm-hmm. whatever they tell you to do that day, you can do it. And what I like is that you'll, you end up doing a lot less volume. They, they, and it's not just that they're doing high intensity interval training the whole time, but they're doing tempo, uh, ride, tempo runs, tempo swims. And then, you know, there's like one or two long bouts a, a week. So I just, I, I like the whole system. I like the program. And, and Brian is definitely a, a good testament to it. So um, you've talked to him before, right? Yeah, I've talked to Brian. And, you know, it just really intrigued me because uh, I've struggled with injuries over the years. And I found that one of the ways to prevent that is to do more sporadic training where you go really hard and then you let your body rest and recover. If you're, if you're going uh, like 5 to 10 miles every day, like a lot of runners, you're, a lot of times you're just breaking your body down. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we get to the interview, there's just one other thing I wanted to tell you about, which I'm excited to, to interview this guy. But uh, there's been a lot of talk lately f- about <laughs> FMTs, which is uh, fecal microbial transplants. <laughs> so... Uh, that is literally what it sounds like. You are taking the healthy gut biome of someone and implanting it into the gut of an unhealthy person, and that is in the form of poop. Yes. <laughs> so um, it's a new thing, a relatively new thing. It's a it's a it's a hundred year old sort of suggestion, but it's a newish technology that has been having amazing results with things like C. difficile uh, infections, Crohn's disease, IBS, all this stuff to sort of reset your gut. And I'm going to mm-hmm. be speaking with. Glenn Taylor of the Tame Mountain Clinic, I think next week, which is one of the top places doing it right now. So I'm really excited to talk about that at some point because I've been getting a lot of questions about that from people lately. Is that something that you tried? No. (laughs) And there is apparently there is apparently a do-it-yourself version, uh, but you know it's all about the donor, I guess. So (laughs) right. Anyway, yeah. Well, there'll be plenty of chances for poop jokes on the next. uh, on the next podcast. Well, um, I'm looking forward to hearing that because, you know, it's actually, from what I've read, it's helped a lot of people. I mean, they'll, yeah. sometimes they'll try this out and they're actually making it in pills now where you, you swallow the poop, I guess, in a pill form. And, uh, it's you know, it's like a cure for a lot of people. So Yeah, so that is the, the, the poop pill or uh, the... Um we have an explicit podcast, so I can say this. <laughs> as, uh, as Mark Sisson says, a shit milkshake. So... <laughs> right. Uh, you know, anyway, on that note, uh, yeah. always, uh, always a pleasure, Aaron. Let's get to the interview. Yeah, great. Well, you know, one thing before we go, I want to mention to people, go to iTunes and leave a review. We want to hear your feedback. It's always nice to hear from people. Or if you're listening on Stitcher, you can leave a comment, uh, just, uh, open your iPhone and leave a comment and then we'll, we'll, we'll put that on the next show. Yeah, great. Okay. Thanks. All right. Take care, Ari. Now I'm speaking with Brian McKenzie, who is the creator of CrossFit Endurance uh, and also the author of Power Speed Endurance, which is uh, more or less a, what I would say a Bible that I keep on my on my desk. So, uh, Brian, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Appreciate it. No problem. So <clears throat> I had an interesting uh, introduction to CrossFit Endurance. It was between doing a half Ironman and training for an Ironman. And I have to say, I wish that I had known about it when I was training for the half Ironman because it's such a more efficient way to train. So, you know, how did, well, first of all, can you give everybody a very quick overview of what CrossFit Endurance is? Uh, high skill, 
um, high intensity, lower volume, more or less training. Um, only in the fact that we're, we would be looking at the volume in terms of sports specific work, meaning time on feet, time on bike, or time in the water. Um, but in, in reality, the high skill portion of it kind of adds more to the entire game, um, which doesn't necessarily equate it as a lower volume program in terms of time. Um, so, it, but that, that's how it's been interpreted. Well, I, I mean, I have to say it, it, it worked out that way for me. Um, well, so there's this idea that the human body is sort of already tuned to be an endurance animal in some ways. It's like sort of what we were you know, born to do in some ways. So that idea of really training the skill uh, is really interesting to me. And I, I want to come back to the mental side of it in, in a little bit. But the so let's talk about that. So there's a lot of intervals, right? There's a lot of tempo training. Like how does that stuff sort of interplay and, and how does that make you better? Well, the, the irony in, in harder work or, or intervals or more intensity is the fact that you will always from the get-go move in, in, a, in a better position or a more efficient position when applying intensity. It's the fatigue factor that kicks in. Inevitably, we start to kind of lose where, where our our best position would be. Um, and, and by that, I, I mean, if you were to take a look at a cheetah or a lion or an elephant for that matter, or a buffalo or whatever, they don't, none of these animals run differently from any other animal in their gene line. So they, if you were to watch a bunch of cheetahs run in the same day, they'd all run the same way. Now only start to play with human beings. We've, we've seen a, a very large thing, a large difference that's occurred. Um, and so, and, and I think largely exercise science's answer to this is, is, is a lot like the medical communities where it's like, yeah, well, people aren't going to want to change. So we're just going to give them tools in order to help them be less crippled states. Um, and, that, and that's largely what we've seen with the endurance world. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that we actually are designed to be long distance beings um, or, or people who are built for endurance is we are not fast and we are not strong comparatively speaking to other species on this planet, but right. we could go all day long and, and run an animal down. Right. So, the, and that's I, the whole born to run thing is always fat. I mean, it's fascinating me when I read that. And, and, and um, so one of the things that you focus on a lot, or it seems like at least is, is running and running position, right? Yeah. And, I love actually in the uh, in the uh, trailer for Tim Ferriss's book. You know, you're the you're the the guy running barefoot. So the transition to barefoot running, like what what does it really take to run properly, and why is it that people don't run properly in the, for the most part? Well, I, I, I'm I'm not necessarily a, a barefoot running advocate. I'm uh, I, I mean I I do think it should be used as a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I think you'll always run faster uh, um, in shoes, but because of our environment and the environment we've created, mostly out of concrete jungle, and uh, it, 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 we're not really truly designed to run barefoot anymore. Although you can, and you know, most people that I do know who are barefoot advocates have incredibly good-looking feet. They have strong, healthy feet. Their hips work properly. Um, it, it, it's a it's it's a large change. Um, I, I think. 
for the large part, the, the skill training has to become a part of this and removing your shoes allows you to understand very quickly what, what changes need to apply in, 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 in the short term. Um, in the long term, we, we have to understand what running actually is. And when, we stop, when, when running stops, it then becomes this thing that was called jogging. And I think that's where a lot of the gross misinterpretation of what uh, what running is has fallen into. Because and if we just take a look back on marathon times, you know, you quantify, you know, looking back at the '80s, you know, where where the average time was 3:30. Now we're looking at well over 4:30 finishing time for a marathon, which now becomes just a participant sport versus something where people are actually running. You know, a 3.30 marathon or less actually requires you to run. Uh, a, a, a four hour and beyond doesn't necessarily require a run. It requires a jog, a walk, whatever, the, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and, you know, I'm somebody who actually did ultra, who was involved in ultra running and did a lot of ultra running for, for the time that I did it. And, you know, a lot of that becomes jogging or walking too, but it's... <laughs> It, it, it's, uh, I think, largely the ability to recognize what running is and what running isn't. So that's, that's interesting. And, and I, I have to say, it's amazing to me when I started training for triathlon that uh, I thought that I knew how to swim and I thought I knew how to run and I thought I knew how to ride a bike, but uh, I really didn't, uh, it turns out. And um, the running thing is interesting to me. So I still, running is my least favorite sport. It still is. It always has been. But whatever. You know, you get through it. But I did find that improving my running really improved my cycling, which is my favorite sport. Yeah. Uh, well, there should be crossover with stuff like that. Well, um, that, there, that, I mean, that high direct... cadence, the high cadence and, you know, the, the stepping and the motion, it just seemed like yeah. it, it felt better. It felt more natural. Um, what about swimming? You know, so swimming is sort of like that animal for everybody. They just want to get through it. And what what is your sort of overall idea with improving swimming? Or I mean, if you can even explain that. Uh, it's a, it, it's exactly, well, unfortunately, everything is exactly like everything else. It's just the ability to understand how that works. Right. Um, it, it, you know, swimming is about position as well. And, um, if, for instance, if we were to take like a dolphin and look at a dolphin and how a dolphin swims and, and what they do and how effortless that is. And it's like, well, they've got this big fin on the back, but the fact is, is they're not really pumping that fin a whole lot. It's all about creating a, a longer, bigger environment wherever your, your position of stability is and where your point of support is. And, and being in that position, and a lot of people want to believe that it's like it, it's pulling through the water and you don't actually pull through the water. You actually get yourself up to come up in the water and allow yourself to fall and change position to the next stroke and get long. And th that's really hard for a lot of people to grasp, but in, in spending enough time and actually being a swimmer and, 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 you know, from the age of four to about 20, um, you know, I, I, I had to wrap my head around all this stuff because it was ingrained to me that I was pulling through the water, pulling through the water. And you're not actually pulling through the water when you really look at it. And when you start to look at swimmers like Michael Phelps over and over and over and over again, and you see these elite level swimmers, you start to really understand what it is they're doing differently and the ability to come up out of the water and drop down and, and glide and create horizontal, um, you know, glide is, is all about how they're vertically placing themselves and 
gliding through that water. And that position comes from when we're out in front here and the ability to uh, get up high. So that's really interesting. And, and you know, what I love about this, too, is I feel like this is like the biohacking version of, you know, of sport and getting better at sport. It really is. It's it's not so much the shortcuts, but it's really the most efficient routes, you know, and and I like that that that's sort of what the at least for me, that's what the skill based approach sort of says to me. and for me, total immersion swimming was like a game changer for me. And it, and it's totally opposite, again, to everything that I'd ever known my entire life. And, you know, suddenly I was able to swim for a, a mile or two or more. And it's 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 really kind of eye-opening. So uh, the strength portion of CrossFit Endurance, though, is basically just, I mean, it's much lighter compared to compared to what uh, you'd see in a traditional CrossFit workout, for instance. So is that more about just supporting and stretching and opening and you're really trying to train that specific skill or what's, what's the sort of goal there? The, the goal is to, is to get, you know, we're not trying to create CrossFit athletes and we're with, with in, in, inside of an endurance program. And, that, and that's one thing that we've had to, in the last couple of years, address with some of these athletes that we actually do, that we worked with for a long time or that come into the program and, you know, they want to do both sometimes. And, you know, there, there is an understanding that we have to get through to people that we've, we've tried to, uh, many, we've tried this many, many ways <laughs> and, and arrived at the conclusion that we have in, in that the, you know, there is sports specific work that has to be addressed far more than what you're doing with CrossFit. Um, but utilizing CrossFit, the way CrossFit's designed in treating weaknesses you know, I, I think I, I don't believe I've yet to still come in contact with anything that can expose an athlete's weakness greater than CrossFit can. And by doing that, that's more or less the principle or the foundation that we want to lay for an athlete. We don't need them to do more unnecessary CrossFit work that'll be detrimental to sports specific work. So it's really finding that that congruence with everything to where it really works together um and and we get positive results within the sports specific work and we're still seeing positive returns within the crossfit work um but more or less the objective is the sports specific work whether that be triathlon whether that be running whether that be cycling it doesn't matter we still want to see those returns um unfortunately for most athletes that come into a program from an endurance background the first few weeks will probably be riddled with non-positive results in the sports-specific world. But given a month, we see nothing but positive returns uh, with the adjustment into that. Sure. Okay. So when, in using it as a tool, and you know, you, you publish the wads every day and, and, and the sports-specific ones, and it's great with all the drills, and I've used it exclusively to train for things before, well, not just to myself, but with clients. Do you could you say to someone, look, you want to train for a marathon? Just follow the program online. You want to train for half Ironman? Just follow the program online. Like, is it can can they do that? They they can do that for the general public. That's that's basic. That's why that workout's out there. Um, for for the for somebody who's a little more serious, um, or wants more, or wants a better understanding, you know, athlete cell, uh, athlete cell dot com is our coaching platform where we actually will do hands on one-on-one coaching where we offer, I believe, three different tiers of coaching where there's a basic package, an intermediate, and an advanced, where 
you've either got constant feedback coming back at you or you've got, you know, once a week you've got feedback coming at you and you've got video review of things. You've, you know, so you have a coach that has an eye on you and what you're doing, um, all of that. So, and, and that's basic, that, that's, that's been the most difficult part and why it's taken so long for us to do that is we needed a platform in order to have the ability to see somebody move and what they were doing so that we understood exactly what was wrong with that athlete, whether that's them not being able to overhead squat or, you know, something's going on on the bike. The fact is, is one relates to the other and us being able to address that allows us to improve the, that sport. Yeah, of course. And, uh, and of course, we're going to link to all this in the show notes, the athletes and everything else. But uh, I, I didn't expect to ask you this, actually. But so what, what's some of the technology that you're able to use for that? I'm really curious, like Coach's Eye or, you know, just or is there anything that what's, what's something? Yeah, we use Coach's Eye, but I, I, I've, I've, I've used video for so long and I've, I've stared at so much, so many thousands of videos for the most part. And, and the coaches that I've that we've worked with, it, it, it you just give me a video and I can look at it and know what's wrong. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm more or less, and I don't, I'm not necessarily judging, but I'm watching. I mean, I watch somebody walk into the room and I'm like, okay, why is there, you know, their foot's turned out, they're externally rotated, something's going on there. How, how often does that show up? The moment they start working out, where does that pop up? What's going on with their shoulders? You, know, you, you, you learn to really just start looking at things and you pick up on things immediately. Um, yeah, I mean, like this morning we have, we had a few rowers over here and, uh, you know, one of the girls we picked up immediately about her ankles not being, uh, flexible and, you know, it would typically somebody else would need to probably look at that for quite a while where we can see that immediately. So that's, uh, that's always coach's eyes a great tool though. All right. So, you know, Josh Newman from the black box in New York city. Right. So he, yeah, he, yeah, there we go. He has that sort of tuned in thing too. And I, I was with him once in person, but I mean, it was like one minute we were sitting together and he's like, what's going on with your left shoulder? I was like, what do you mean? Um, and it was that same kind of thing. Like I was sitting something and he saw it. it was just, so it's really always amazing to me to interact with people who, who can see that kind of thing. So the, the, yeah. the, la- the last thing that I really want to get into with you is sort of the mental side of it. Because for me, a big th- part of what I do and what I work on, not, not, specifically with uh, athletes or anything, but it's really that idea of uh, creating stress and getting stronger from it and sort of overcoming adversity. So one of the things that I, I struggled with with Ironman training was that, you know, the four and five hour sessions on a bike trainer was really about training your mind to just get through the boredom and the pain. And so what CrossFit definitely helps do that, but it is tends to be sort of a shorter thing. Like, what do you how do you feel about that, about what you can do to sort of train your mind? Uh, two, two of the easiest things to do. One is, is racing more frequently. Okay. Um, understanding a race schedule. If you're doing a, an Ironman, there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing a half mile Ironman leading into that. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing some sprint races either, or even some Olympic distance in there. Um, <laughs> the other one is just testing along the way. If you're not confident in the fact that you can go out and handle an Ironman, well, go put yourself out on a 20 mile run and a, you know, 80 mile bike ride and just understand that it's going to require a whole lot more recovery out of you than what you were typically doing. So take the time, set that up to where you can handle it and you can have the recoverability from it and, and getting that mental edge and understanding that, but paying attention when you're doing these things, it's not just to go out to do it. You know, it's what's happening at certain points where I know I'm breaking down or what, what am I doing mentally that, that's that's 
making this more difficult for me? Why am I not staying in a positive mind frame versus why am I going into a negative mind frame? Sure, I'm experiencing some pain, but I've dealt with pain before. What 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 is that? You know, um, making notes of, of these things along the way will allow you for more or less a bulletproof setup. Okay, I like that. Uh, well, and then you mentioned something that I have to ask about too, which is the recovery. So, what's kind of your your best strategies for recovery? Uh, nutrition, one. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, understanding how quickly you recover from your workouts and so h- how, where you can intersperse those in. Unfortunately, for most of us, we work <laughs> for a living. And so understanding if you've got to train twice a day, what's got to happen throughout that day. And if you're in meetings all day long and if you're running around all day long, that's probably not the best thing to do. So how can you make up for something like that? What are you doing nutritionally? How are you sleeping at night? What, what are you deficient in? What does your blood work tell you? you know, um, and if you're not getting your blood work done every few months or every six months, you should be so that you understand exactly the markers you're missing and things you need to implement in order to have those changes so that you're functioning optimally. That's great. I think that's, those are uh, very good recommendations. I, I like that you threw in the blood testing one. So, okay. So the, the last question that I always like to ask people on these podcasts is what are your kind of top three tips for being more effective? And it, it doesn't have to be CrossFit endurance. I mean, it could be anything, but just what are the top three things that, that make you more effective? Um, being passionate about what you're doing, uh, one, um, being connected to what you're doing, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and being surrounded by people of the same type of set, whether that's whether you're, you know, I mean, if you're training for triathlons, obviously you want to be training with triathletes. You don't want to be somebody who's, you know, and, I, and I've experienced this on both ends where it's like you've got a crew of people that you train with or you're training solo, you know, um, you should have times where you are training by yourself and getting through things alone so that you understand that race environment on race day, because largely you will be alone on race day. You know, it's not going to be a conversation. You're going to be having with buddies. Um, but having people there within your workout structure or even setting up to where you have a group to train with, um, that, that makes training, more like racing that makes training more uh, positive for what it is you're doing having a family that supports what you're doing makes it all the better so ha- having a crew of people whether that be family whether that be friends um surrounding that would be probably one of those i love that passion connection and, and community that's great so okay where, where is the best place for people to find out more about you yeah and 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 the book and everything uh crossfitendurance.com we've got athletesell.com um, my, my name, Brian I, I post random things on there. Uh, it's just a small little blog feed, uh, off Tumblr. And then, um, you know, my, my Twitter handle, I'm, I'm, if, if, if you're somebody who's got a question and it, it's, you're not a troll, <laughs> you will get, you'll, you'll get answered. I, I typically answer everything off of Twitter. Um, so at, at, at I am unscared. Uh, is my Twitter handle. And then uh, Facebook, I don't really do use a whole lot. Uh, just I've never really gotten into that medium. So I, I've kind of stuck with Twitter. 160 characters or less is, is my deal. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that you shared Twitter because you, you have the most badass Twitter handle there is. So thank you uh, for opening that up for everybody. And uh, <laughs> 
And uh, Brian, appreciate thank, that. Thank appreciate you so it. much for for <laughs> taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. I, I love CrossFit endurance, and uh, and I do it regularly. Thanks so so. Appreciate it.